very familiar passage of Scripture, Joshua chapter number 3. Begin our reading with verse number 1. And it reads as this, And Joshua rose up early in the morning, they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then shall ye remove from your place and go after it. There shall be a space between you and it about 200 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command thee the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will be or without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, every one, or out of every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it come to pass when the people remove from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the Lord before the people, and as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all of its banks at the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon a heap very far from the city of Adam, that is, beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed right over against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean. Over Jordan. I want to call your attention back to verse number 3. And it says, When you shall see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. I want to preach that the Lord will help me tonight on get up, get ready, go after it. Get up. Get ready and go after it. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your holy scriptures. Yeah, I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of perilous times, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, we have an anchor that is sure and true. For God, though heaven and earth may pass away, your word will never pass away. It's precious to the believer. 
I thank you for your word tonight. I'm asking for your unction. I'm asking for your anointing tonight to help us, oh God. I, I pray that you would drive us to go to the next level in you. God, that we wouldn't be complacent where we are, but we would be driven to pursue your heart, to pursue your soul. God, to pursue your mind, to pursue everything about you, oh God. To go deeper in you, to go further in you, God, to, to, to not, uh, grow complacent, but God, fall into an altar and pray until we pray through and touch you. You touch us and change us from where we are to where you want us to be. And Father, we'll forever love you and give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And the church says, Amen. And Amen. Our text in Joshua chapter number three was a defining moment. For the children of Israel, for 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt and He had given them a promise of a promised land. And it was only about an 11 to 14 day journey to get from Egypt to the promised land as they walked and they uh, treaded through the wilderness. But those 11 to 14 days turned into 40 years. For you see, it only took a, a few days for the children of Israel to get out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of them. It, it, it took long, God longer to, uh, to deliver them from what Egypt represented and what they had on the inside of them than it was to bring them out of Egypt. For 40 years they had wandered in this wilderness. Even though they had uh, been uh, delivered out of Egypt, they, God had given them a promise. God had to get Egypt. God had to uh, prepare their hearts to be ready to inherit the promised land. For 40 years they wondered, but now is the day that they had been waiting on. Now was the time that for 40 years they had longed for. They were about to go and inherit the promise. Only one thing separated them from the promise. But God was about to remove the obstacle and they were going to walk in their inheritance. They were going to walk in their provision and in their promise. I mean, the only thing separating them was this one river, this one uh, this one small thing. And uh, I don't know how long they looked at that river. I don't know how long they had waited by the banks. I don't know how long they had uh, dreamed of just stepping on the other side. But uh, finally the message came from God that it was time to walk into their promise. It was time to receive their heritage. It was time to receive the gifts of God. But in order for them to cross, there were still some things that they had to do. There was still a preparation process. There was still uh, a few things that uh, had to be checked off of the list. And I want to look at those very briefly for a few moments tonight. In Joshua 3, verse 3, as we've uh, called your attention to in our text, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then shall you remove from your place. And God gave them the command. To go after it. You shall remove from your place. And go after it. On that day nothing else mattered. To the children of Israel. But making sure that the ark. Was in view. The, the very first thing that they said. Is you've got to be looking. For the ark. You, you've got to be looking. Toward the ark. And when it begins to move. You move with it. When it moves. You begin to move. With it. The ark represented the very spirit and the presence of God. It represented everything that God was. It was a representation of His spirit on earth. And the one thing, the, the, the one, uh, 
thing that they had to be viewing was they had to be viewing that ark. Their, their vision was set upon the ark of the covenant. Nothing else mattered on that day but the ark. It would do us all good if we had a vision checkup and we removed everything from our vision but the presence of God. Amen. The, the, the Spirit of God, there's so many different things in this world that catches our eyes, that catches our attentions and our affections. And I, I'm as guilty as the much. I love uh, the news and, and seeing where we are. I don't think the Christians have to be ignorant people. We can keep up with what's going on in the world and being able to to see exactly where we are and what's going on. Amen. But there, there's so many times when we're looking at the political events, economic uh, uh, events and uh, uh, the global events that we can get so caught up and so bogged down in that that we fail to see God and we fail to see His handiwork. It's a uh, you can get plumb depressed looking and seeing at the state of the world, Amen. But uh, you've got to make up your mind: Am I going to see the world for what it is, or am I going to see what God's doing in the world? And then we have to check our vision. We've got to take our eyes off of the things in life that don't matter and place it back upon the one thing that does matter. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They had to be looking for the ark. There's got to be times where we get our eyes and our visions back upon Christ in the natural. Our eyes have to, we have to have checkups. Our eyes as we get older. Our, our vision begins to change. Our, our, we're not able to see as good as we were. We can't read as good as we used to. We have problems seeing. Our vision may get dim. And, and you have to go to the doctor and have a vision checkup to see exactly where, uh, where you stand. What prescription you need for glasses. Does your prescription need to be altered? I can tell you it's the same thing in the spiritual. There's times when we have to have vision checkups. When we've got to have God to adjust our vision. And we've got to have God to, uh, uh, to examine our lives to see what we're looking at and what our eyes have been feasting upon. For them to inherit the promise of God. Amen. For them to cross over the river Jordan. Their eyes had to be fastened upon that ark. Amen. Nothing else mattered that day but the ark. For us to walk into our promise, our eyes must once again be fastened upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing was that when the ark moved, they were given the command they had to pursue the ark when the ark moved they had to move with it it was one thing to see the ark of the covenant but it was something altogether different to follow the ark there came a, a point in time when they had to lose the wilderness mentality fasten their eyes on the ark and go after it it was a command when you see the ark moving when you see the priest moving with the ark you've got to remove yourself from your place and go after it and i wanted us to realize that as bad as the wilderness was it was a place of comfort for the children of israel for 40 years they had been there. They didn't have to worry about food God miraculously provided. They didn't have to worry about uh, uh, clothes or shoes. Their clothes never wore out. Uh, their shoes uh, never wore out. For 40 years God was a providential God that provided for them in the midst uh, of their wilderness. Uh, it was somewhat peaceful for them in this wilderness transition. Sure, uh, I mean there were a lot of funerals going on. God was uh, dealing and removing uh, people that had uh, doubted and uh, uh, had disbelief in their heart 
and wasn't faithful, but uh, it was a peaceful time. They didn't have to worry about a lot of enemies going on. The, the wilderness was a, a difficult place, but the wilderness was a place uh, of comfort. It was a place of complacency. They had uh, everything that they needed to survive right there in the wilderness. Uh, amen. But for them to walk into God's promise, they had to leave their place of complacency. Sure, this place may be uh, okay, but God uh, has got something better. This place may have been good. It might have sustained you for 40 years, but it's not uh, the final destination. It's not uh, the end result. God has something better. God has something bigger in store, but for them to inherit the promise, uh, they had to uh, leave that wilderness mentality, leave their place of complacency and say, no matter what, uh, I'm going on with God. Uh, I'm going to walk. Uh, I'm going to follow the presence. I'm going to follow the Spirit of God. Uh, I'm going to walk and inherit my promise. Uh, They had to leave their comfort zone uh, and for the first time in 40 years face uh, the unknown. Uh, Amen. It's not enough to just look for God. Uh, People can see God moving around them all day. Uh, Amen. God's looking for a people that's willing to pursue God. Uh, Amen. That's willing to go after God. Uh, That's willing to leave their place of comfort and complacency and and say this place has been good. Uh, Amen. Thank God for it, but I want to go to the next level in God. Uh, I I want more of God. Uh, I want more of His Spirit. I want more of His presence. I I want more of His power in my life. Uh, Amen. You're not going to be able to get that uh, in your comfort zone. Uh, You're not going to be able to get that in your place of complacency. Uh, But if you want to get to the next level in God, uh, you're going to have to get up. Uh, You're going to have to get ready. uh, And you're going to have to pursue it. Amen. The, The Spirit of God is something that must be pursued. It's something that you must go after. It's something that you must set aside and purpose in your heart. I'm going after the things of God. Amen. It's the easy thing to do to sit around and, and, and appease the flesh and have a place of comfort and have a place of complacency. That's the easy thing to do. It's the hard thing to forsake that and say, God, more than I want complacency, I want the power. God, more than I want comfort, I want the anointing. God, more than I want a life, amen, satisfied by the flesh. God, I want a life filled of your power, your anointing, and your Holy Ghost. Amen. God's looking for a people that will pursue that and go after the very heart of God. Amen. There's men and women all throughout the Bible that pursued the heart of God. There are examples to where God pursued them. You can read it. There, There are times where God pursued individuals. But far more instances you'll find of people that pursued God, that went after God, that sold out lock, stock, and barrel, and said, God, I want you. It was Moses that climbed the mountain to see God and to see the burning bush. His life was forever changed. God changed him from a murderer, a shepherd, to a mighty man of God. I mean, Moses would have never been God's mighty man had he been content in the wilderness of Midian. He never would have been God's mighty man, the deliverer of God's chosen people, if he said, well, the shepherd farm's good. I'm just going to retire and live it up. No. I mean, he pursued God. He had a desire for more of God. He said, I will now set aside and see this bush that burns, but is not consumed. It was Isaiah that went to the temple in Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah was a nephew of the king, 
King Uzziah had died. No doubt uh, Isaiah was in that uh, royal lineage. No doubt he had a great inheritance waiting on him. No doubt he had maybe a position. Maybe he had power that was waiting on him. But uh, in Isaiah 6, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah purposed in his heart, I'm going to pursue God. Amen. I'm not content living Uzziah's life. I'm not content living the life of power, uh, of prosperity. I want a life uh, full with the purpose and the power of God. Uh, Isaiah pursued the heart of God. It was Abraham that pursued God. God called him out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And he he called him uh, out to leave the land of your father in search of a city whose builder and maker was God. By faith, Abraham followed and pursued God. God. It was Paul. After God changed him, Paul, amen, had knowledge. He had everything set up to be a top dog at the synagogue, but he said, I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ. None of that means anything to me but pursuing the will and the plan of God. It was Jacob that pursued God at Peniel, and God changed him from Jacob to Israel and told him as a prince, thou hast power with men and with God. It was Hannah that pursued God and bore Samuel the prophet, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. It was David who in his um, sitting on the throne, he, he he's made up in his mind, I'm tired of living without God's presence. I'm tired of living without God's Spirit. And he made up in his mind he was going after the ark of God and bringing it back home. All of these people are in, in this holy book because they purposed in their heart to pursue the heart of God. They were willing to get up and to go after God's presence. I mean, we must be that people today. We must get to the place where we're hungry for God and hungry for a move of the Spirit of God. Amen. We must get to the place where we're willing to follow wholeheartedly after the Spirit of God. If the people in our text in Joshua 3 were ever going to have to, or ever going to cross Jordan and walk in the promise, they had to be willing to move with the ark and the Spirit of God. They had to be sensitive to the leading and the prompting of the Spirit. Every point in our, te- in our text up to this point, when the children of Israel moved in their wilderness wanderings, there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. When the pillar of fire moved, the children of Israel moved. When the cloud moved, they had to move. It was a way of God showing them you got to be following the, the Spirit. you got to follow my lead. It didn't matter if it was 2 o'clock in the morning. If the cloud and the fire moved, then they had to pick up the stakes, put the tent up, and move with the fire, and move with the cloud. But at this point in time in our text, there was no pillar of fire. There was no cloud. You see, God was wanting them to get to the point and the place where he didn't have to, they didn't have to rely on a sign and a wonder to know when to move. He wanted them to get to the place where they would be led by the Spirit of God. They would be led intimately by the Spirit of God. No more was there a pillar of cloud by day. No more was there a pillar of fire by night. But now, they were trained to look for God Himself. They were per, they were trained to go after the very heart of God. Let us be people again that don't have to rely upon signs and wonders, Amen. But a people that are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God, sensitive to the still small voice. Yes, there's times when God speaks in an earthquake. 
Yes, there's times when God speaks by fire. Yes, there's times when God speaks by whirlwinds. Amen. But more times than not, He's going to speak by that still, small voice registering in the hearts of the minds of those that are willing to listen. And there's a lot of people that will chase after the fire. There's a lot of people that will chase after the miraculous and the signs and the wonders. Amen. But there are very few that's willing to stop and listen for the still, small voice of God. To listen to what He says. Amen. In Revelation it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. That there, it's not that there are some people that are trained to have an ear. Uh, to hear the voice of God and some others aren't. It's not a specialty in the ears. No. Uh, amen. It's a uh, it's a sensitivity of the heart to hear uh, what He's saying. Uh, amen. You can't train your ear to hear the voice of God. Uh, amen. You've got to train your heart uh, to pursue the heart of God. Uh, when you have the heart of God, you'll hear when He speaks. Uh, amen. It'll be that still, small voice. Uh, amen. I thank God. I, don't, I, I, I love signs and wonders. I love seeing miracles. I love seeing and God's handiwork put on display but I don't have to have that to believe I mean there's some that are just chasing a sign as soon as they hear a revival popping out somewhere I mean they like the hippies of the 70s if I can use that analogy They'll sell everything to go and chase after the signs and chase after the wonders. And they'll hear about a revival over here and they'll do the exact same thing. And there, there, there's no consistency when the signs and the wonders stop, they stop. Amen. I thank God for signs and wonders. And I'm not discrediting them in the least bit. But I thank God more for that, those seasons where He talks. I thank God for the quiet prayer meetings when it's just me and God. And I hear His voice. And He talks. And He shares His heart. Amen. He shares His passions. He, he, he shares what He is with me. Amen. I can tell you folks, that for me is a whole lot more precious than signs and wonders. Amen. That is a whole lot more precious. And God wants us to get to that point and place with Him. Amen. To where we all can hear. And we all can sense the very Spirit. And the power and the moving of God. Following the art. Following the presence of God teaches us three things. One, it's not enough to be led. You must be willing to follow. The old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. God can do everything to lead you by His Spirit. But if you're not obedient to the prompting of God's leading, you're not going anywhere. Not only must we be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, but we must be willing to follow. Wherever that ark goes, I'm willing to go. Wherever the Spirit of God goes, I'm willing to pursue. As much as God was leading them, if they weren't willing to follow the ark, they never would have entered into Canaan. Amen. It shows us it's not enough to be led. We must be willing to follow. Secondly, wherever God's ordinances are, there we must be. If they go, if there's the command to go, then we must remove ourselves from the flesh and follow after the ordinances of God. Third, as those that are entirely satisfied in His guidance, that it will lead us to the best way to the best end. Therefore, we must have the mindset, Lord, that wherever You go, that's where I want to be. Whatever Your Spirit leads me to do, that's what I want to do. Amen. So, to be able... To cross Jordan, they had to be looking for that ark. When the ark moved, they had 
to pursue the ark. Listen, we've got to be willing to pursue God and to pursue His heart. I was talking to a preacher, a good friend of mine, Brother Zach Manning. He's preached here a couple times, Brother Brian McDonald's associate pastor. And we were talking about a preacher friend of ours, a mutual friend, who his heart's in the right place. He loves the Lord and he has been called to preach. He's been preaching longer than I have. And he really, he wants to be used of God, but he's not willing to pursue his calling. He's not willing to go after ministry. His, Zach was having a conversation with him and said, man, he said, what's going on? You're not preaching a whole lot. You're not involved in ministry like you used to be. He said, well, he said, I'm just sitting around waiting for somebody to mentor me. I need a mentor. I need somebody in my life that will come and, and pour their heart and invest time in me and teach me. And Zach told him, he said, man, he said, you're right, you do. He said, but as long as you're sitting around and waiting for that, that's never going to happen. He said, ministry is something that has got to be pursued. The calling of God has got to be pursued. The anointing is something that has to be pursued. As long as you're just sitting in one place and waiting for something miraculous to happen, it's probably not going to happen if you're not willing to do the work. If you're not willing to fast, if you're not willing to pray, if you're not willing to get a hold of God, if you're not willing to go after ministry. I mean, you don't have to. Uh, uh, a, a lot of people think with ministry, well, this has to happen, that has to happen. Nothing has to happen for you to be a minister of the gospel if you're called. Uh, there are empty street corners every day uh, that's just begging for somebody to come preach on. Uh, I mean, there are empty uh, uh, cafeterias at the jail, at the nursing home, at the hospitals. Uh, this for somebody to come and to preach. Amen. If you have a heart and you want to be used, there's opportunities all around. When you're faithful in the areas where you are, God, amen, will advance you. But if you're not faithful in where you are, there will be no advancement. Man, I told Zach, I said, man, I said, that's good. Amen. I wish more. I wish I would have had that advice when I was a young preacher. I thought when I got called to preach, I was supposed to be booked up 50 weeks out of the year preaching a revival with an RV and a singing group following me around and all that kind of stuff. And when I preached, my first message then bombed so bad I didn't preach again for six months. How about backslid? Amen. Thinking, my, my, something's wrong somewhere. The disconnect, something. I must have missed God. It wasn't that I missed uh, nothing. Uh, I realized that ministry has to be pursued. Uh, I mean, the same way that you pursue your education, uh, you pursue your job and your career, uh, you pursue your giftings and your callings, God must be pursued. Uh, The anointing must be pursued. Uh, Amen. The hand of God must be pursued. Uh, Whatever He wants me to do, I'll do it. Uh, I'm willing to go. Uh, I'm willing to be it. Uh, That's where ministry starts. Pursuing the heart of God. I mean, we must have an eye and an ear for His presence. We must be willing to follow after His presence. And third, there had to be a holy reverence and respect for the ark. They commanded the people, remove from your place and go after it. But that was the command. There shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it. That way you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way 
heretofore. And following the ark, they had to keep their distance. The command was that there could be no one within 2,000 cubits, which is about 2,000 yards of that ark. Matthew Henry said that it was for three reasons. The first reason that was the children of God expressed their awful and reverent regard to that token of God's presence, lest its familiarity with them should breed contempt. They were reverence, reverencing the Spirit of God. They didn't want to be too familiar with His presence. They wanted to respect it and to reverence it. If there is one thing this generation has lost, that is His reverence for the Spirit of God. I mean, if there's one thing that we've lost, by and large, is our reverence and our respect for God. And our society, and a lot of the neo-Pentecostal and charismatic movements, God is our buddy. God's our pal. Many refer to Him as the big man in the sky, or the big man upstairs. Yes, He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But He is the sovereign creator of the universe. Yes, He is our friend. Amen. That we can always depend on. But He is also my ruling King. Amen. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. I should never get too familiar with God that I lose my reverence for God. I mean, I'm not saying you can't have a companionship. And I'm not saying, amen, that you shouldn't share your heart. I'm not saying that He isn't a friend. Yes, He is my best friend. He is my greatest friend. But more than that, He's my Lord. More than that, He is my King. Amen. I, 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 we can't get to the place where we lose our reverence for the holy things of God. I mean, most of our churches today is nothing but a club aspect and a club arena. Laser lights, smoke screens, smoke machines, music so loud, you hear, still hear it three days later when your ears are ringing. Looks like a rock and roll concert or a, a nightclub. What happened? They lost their respect for God's house. They lost their respect and reverence for the things of God. I mean, don't ever get to the place where we lose that we must regain a healthy fear of God they were so fearful they were so reverent of that art that they kept 2,000 yards between them and the presence amen now I know God's presence is alive on the inside of us amen and, and, and I thank God for it but we should always be reverent to the spirit of God secondly when the reverence was shown it was made to appear that the ark was able to protect itself, needed not to be guarded by men of war, but was itself a guard unto them. When the Ark of the Covenant was set up among the children of Israel, there was anywhere from two to six million people. Then it was broken up to where you had three tribes on the north, three tribes on the south, three tribes on the east and the west. And that was for the, the total of the twelve tribes of Israel. And so you had... Thousands of people on one side to the north, thousands on the south, thousands to the east and to the west. And right in the middle of the camp, you had the ark. That was a perfect representation of the cross. Amen. A perfect representation of the cross and the Spirit of God. And that was how they abode. They, 
they uh, situated their lives around the ark. Nowadays, we situate our lives around ball, around uh, different things, around this, around that. Uh, amen. But these people were dedicated, uh, amen, to having their lives situated around uh, the presence of God. Uh, amen. But it all changed on this day. Uh, on this day, the order changed. Uh, no longer were their garrisons surrounding the ark, uh, but the ark began to lead them. Uh, the ark was out in front, uh, uh, and, and it was a representation, uh, amen, showing that men was not going to have to guard the presence of the Lord but rather the presence of the Lord was going to guard men. Amen. They weren't going to have to defend the ark anymore but instead the ark was going to defend them. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Normally when going into a new place something as important as the ark would be surrounded by garrisons and hosts but staying a thousands of yards behind the ark the mentality was was that the ark didn't need to be protected but that the ark in the presence of God uh, could protect itself. Uh, that's what the gospel is, folks. Uh, amen. I love studying apologetics and defending the gospel. Uh, amen. But there's so many that are, are, are giving their lives to defending the gospel. They're failing to proclaim the gospel. I mean, what are you saying, preacher? Well, I'm saying every group, I mean, they're, they're just studying to be able to defend the gospel, to, to ward off attacks. And if somebody has their opinion against the gospel, well, they can give them their apologetic opinion and their apologetic quote. Listen, the gospel doesn't have to just be defended. It was D.L. Moody that said the gospel is like a line. Just let it loose and he'll defend himself. I mean, too many times we spend too much time defending the gospel when God just wants us to proclaim the gospel. The gospel never has had to be defended. It will defend itself. We just must proclaim the gospel. Proclaiming the works of God. That's the way it was with the ark. The Spirit of God was no longer have to be defended or to, or to be protected. But the ark, I mean the Spirit of God, would protect and defend them. Men, so they had their eyes fastened upon the ark. They were willing to pursue and to go after the ark. We see they had a healthy respect and a reverence for the ark. Kirsty, come help me. I'm done. Lastly, they were willing to sanctify themselves. They were willing to clean themselves up and make themselves pure. Joshua 3 and 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord would do wonders among you. Before they could ever see the wonders, they had to sanctify themselves. They had to separate themselves. That's what sanctification means. That's what uh, sanctify means, to separate oneself for a specific use and a specific purpose. Man, a, 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 sanctification is a... Dirty word to a lot of the church in this hour. They don't want to preach on sanctification. They don't uh, want to teach sanctification. Uh, a preacher one time said, man, he said, I don't have time to preach that anymore. So it's the Assemblies of God preacher. I said, well, I said, you better not sign that Assemblies of God card. Turn it back in because if you do, you're a liar. Man, sanctification. Sanctifying yourselves. Man, it's still needed in this hour. It's still a requirement in this hour to come out from among the world and to be separate. God never wanted His people to blend in with everybody in the world. He said it Sunday morning, God never wanted Adam to blend in with the world. 
God always wanted man to stand out. And that's a lie from hell to try to, to, to diminish our glory. Not in ourselves, but the glory of God that's radiating in and through us. Sanctifying themselves means that they cleaned themselves up. They separated themselves. They purified themselves. They removed the filth of the world. They prepared themselves for the promise. Amen. There must become a sanctifying again. And sanctifying of the heart. Purifying of the heart. Sanctifying of the spirit and soul. When the heart's right, it will bleed out. Amen. Uh, so many people try to get the outside right without working on the inside. Let God sanctify the heart. And when He gets that heart right, you don't have to worry about the outside. Amen. As Sister Faith said, His holiness will take over. It's not our, our holiness, our righteousness. This has a filthy rags. Amen. But when God gives us of His holiness, Amen, there will be a glow and a radiation in and through us. Amen. The world will know. The world will know exactly what it is. It's the holiness of God shining in and through us. As our hearts are. If there's ever a truer, there's never been a truer statement than this. As our hearts are, we will be. If you have a fleshly heart, you're going to have a fleshly organism. If you have a carnal heart, you're going to have a carnal organism if you've got a heart that's full of self a heart that's full of hell folks that's going to bleed out but if we've got god's heart i mean if we've got god's spirit alive on the inside of us as our hearts are we will be hallelujah thank god for it that's why man the holiness of god is of utmost importance to us we cannot live without it when our hearts are pure everything else will fall into place it was when they sanctified themselves the Jordan split and they walked across on dry ground. When our hearts are pure, wonders will come. Say it again. When our hearts are pure, wonders will come. The lost to be saved, the dead will be raised, the sick will be healed, the possessed of hell will become possessed by God. Amen. When will that happen, preacher? When the church makes up her mind, we're going to get up. We're going to get ready. And we're going to go after God. We're going to get up. Getting up means a preparedness. It means a preparation. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. To be able to get and walk in the promise of God, then I've got to get up from where I am. I've got to prepare. I've got to get ready. I've got to get my heart right. I've got to get me right. Man. Then I've got to begin pursuing the heart of God. Get up. Get ready. Go after it. How many of you want more of God tonight? How many of you want more of His power? How many of you want ministry? How many of you want His anointing, His touch upon your life? I know it was simple tonight. Amen. But I believe He's telling us, by the way, it's time to get up. It's time to get ready. It's time to go after Him. Go after Him. Seek Him. Search for Him. While He can be found and while He's near. Amen. Knock and the door will be open. Seek you shall find. Ask shall be given unto you. Amen. I want to get up, get ready. 
and go after him. Could you come find us a place to pray tonight?